Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's part three of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9, verses 18 through 26, called Turning to the King. The other gospel writers fill in the blanks. Mark tells us that Jesus said, who touched my garments? Mark 5.32. And it was, I think, Peter who responded, Lord, what do you mean, who touched your garments? Everybody's touching you. Look at this crowd. We're squeezed in like sardines. A day in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ, right? There's so many people around. What do you mean, who touched you? Everybody's touching you. We can't wait to get out of here, right? And Jesus says, no, Luke has it this way. No, someone touched me, Luke 8, 46. And I know that power has gone out from me. Well, Jesus sensed that this was a different kind of touch. Let me give you an example. You can preach to a sanctuary of people. You can preach to a stadium of 30,000 people. And the power of the Lord will go out. And some people will be converted on the spot and other people will be like a wall. What's the difference? Why does one person get saved and healed and another person not? The difference is faith, amen? Because we are saved by grace, but through the channel of faith. Now, some of that is a mystery how that all comes together at a a point in time for a certain individual, but that's the deal. And so, Jesus says, no, this was a different kind of touch. Power went out from me and the woman was healed. And the other gospel writers say that she was embarrassed, she was trembling, or she, maybe she was more afraid. And she explained that it was her. It's me, Lord. I'm the one. And everything came to a stop. Can I ask you, would you stop for her? Would you stop for a woman who is considered an outcast in society? Would you stop the train for a woman like that? Jesus didn't say, hey, why'd you touch me? Right? He didn't rebuke her. He didn't say, I don't like to be touched. Don't be touching me. And by the way, it would appear that you're unclean. No, Jesus didn't care about how people were categorized because his holiness made people clean. They didn't make him unclean. He didn't worry about that stuff. I know some of us are a little weird about being touched. Anybody out there? Now, we have people in the Christian community at different levels of, uh, let's put it as acceptance. For example, some of you know Paul Hicks. Paul Hicks has now moved with Deborah to Prescott. And his famous thing is, We called him the woo-hooer. And he would woo-hoo during the services and everywhere else. And Paul would give you a holy kiss. And he would defend it as being biblical. But it wasn't just a kiss, it was wet. (laughs) And he he claimed it was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I don't buy it. No, he would kiss you on the cheek, okay? But he would spray you. (laughs) Wow! And... And you just have to love him in the Lord. No, Paul's such a great man. But there's other people. I remember I did a prayer at the end of one of our services many years ago. And I asked everybody to hold hands. I said, you're supposed to love each other. So hold hands with uh, the other believers next to you. And I had a few uh, 
notes in the offering box. <laughs> I don't like to be touched, man. <laughs> I, whoa. You know, some people are really huggy. Other people are like, and other people are like, <laughs> I'm not quite there. Don't touch me, man. But Jesus didn't do that. It was more a question because he knew what the touch was. Someone believed and had their life changed in the moment. You know, it's, it's really interesting to think about how faith is so, all we got to do is reach out a hand and God saves. And so Jesus turned to her, 22, he turned around and looked at her and he said, daughter, notice that. Be of good cheer. Take courage. Same thing he said to the paralytic earlier in the chapter. Your faith literally has saved you. And Matthew says it's right here that she was made well. Again, the account truncated. And so Jesus, according to the other gospel writers, after she told him who she was and what happened, he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your chaos is over. Be healed of your affliction, Mark 5, 34. Luke 8, 48 puts it this way. He said to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in shalom. Go in peace. And off she went, a life no more uh, hemorrhaging. She had experienced, you could say, a type of salvation. So beautiful. But you have to know that Jairus is still standing there. And the original story was supposed to be we're going to his house to heal his daughter. Remember? Remember that? <laughs> Good for you, lady. <laughs> I'll send you a Christmas card. But my daughter, right? And the train is moving so slow. It doesn't seem like the walk of faith sometimes is like almost half steps. We walk by faith and not by sight. But there's Jairus. Can we get things moving? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I'm happy for you. Pray for you. Maybe we can have dinner sometime, but my daughter. But there's something else going on here. Because in the healing of the woman with the flow of blood, do you think that Jairus' faith was bolstered? He's about to get the most devastating of all news. Because the other gospel writers say as they got closer to the house, a servant came out and said, don't trouble the master anymore. Your daughter's dead. And Jesus says to Jairus, just keep believing. Keep walking by faith. We're going to get there. And something good is going to happen. And even though you've just got this devastating news, you keep walking. Because I've, I'm going to do something and I'm in the situation and that makes all the difference. And so when they, Jesus came into the official's house, 23, and saw the flute players, these are the, these are the ones playing the dirge. This is the funeral music and the crowd in noisy disorder. Uh, Mark tells us he took Peter, James, and John, and obviously the parents are going to go in as well. And there was a lot of commotion and a lot of loud weeping and wailing. Uh, in, in the Jewish uh, way of doing things. They didn't embalm bodies. And so they would bury someone after death within 24 hours, basically. 
And so if you were on your deathbed, they would start coordinating the service. And it's maybe a little bit brutal, but it's just the truth of how they did things. So these people were probably on call. And then when the little girl breathed their last, they came to the house. And even in Jewish society at this time, they would hire at least one professional mourner, even if you you were poor. And they would show up. This sounds weird to us, but they'd show up at your house and they would just start wailing over the dead person, even though they didn't know you. And there was weeping and wailing. And if sh- certainly the, the mom is weeping and wailing and friends and family, and they're playing the, the dirge music, and it's, it's a place of death. And Jesus sees the noise and the disorder and the commotion and all that is going on. And he began to say, 24, I like to say, get out of here, but... He said, depart (laughs) to those who are weeping and wailing, for the girl has not died. She's asleep. And they began laughing at him. The King James says, they laughed him to scorn. Isn't it amazing how quickly they went from wailing to laughing? And this tells you something, that there were professional mourners in that place, but they were also offended by Jesus. Because Jesus said, no, she's only asleep. And you said, well, which is it? Was she asleep or was she dead? Well, to Jesus, death is sleep. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, we don't have to grieve like those who have no hope because those who have fallen asleep in Jesus will live again. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord, but the body looks as if it's sleeping. And to Jesus, death is just sleep because he's going to wake us up, amen? Amen. We're going to live again. Our bodies are going to rise, I should say. And so they played the dirge, and Jesus said, stop the music, get out of here. She's only sleeping, and they mocked him. Can you imagine people laughing in the face of the King of kings and the Lord of lords? But brethren, they do it every day on our planet. Some people, it seems to be their business to mock the living God. And I will tell you, quoting a verse, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. Now, God is patient. But if you mock the living God, you're playing a dangerous game. And so they laughed in his face, and he basically said, take a hike, take your instruments with you, and get out. And he went into the room with Peter, James, and John, putting the other gospel accounts together. He sent them out. Mom and dad were there. And when the crowd had been put out, 25, he entered and took her by the hand and the girl arose. Mark has it this way. He took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl or little lamb, arise. Just a touch of his hand just like he did for Peter's mother-in-law. Literally, little lamb arise. There's a story about Martin Luther. He lost a daughter to the plague. I think she was about 14 years old. And they came to take her body away, you know, the undertaker and so forth. And it was said that they were hammering the nails of the coffin and that Luther said, hammer away because she will live because he believed the gospel. Horatio Spafford wrote, It is well with my soul. He lost four daughters to the sea. And uh, 
It was devastating to him, but you all know that in the wake of that, he wrote these famous words. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Believe it or not, if you have doubts and questions about your Christian faith, you're not alone. The recent deconstruction movement phenomenon has a number of Christians rethinking what parts of the Bible they identify with. But is the movement simply about having doubts? If deconstruction is just about asking questions, I'm just asking questions, I'm, I'm going through some doubts, then declaring war on it would be wrong and actually unbiblical. But if deconstruction is about leading people away from historic Christianity, then declaring war on it is completely appropriate and biblical. Pastor Michael invites you to watch our recent A Step Closer series with guest speaker Red Pen Logic's Tim Barnett. Download the free Walk-In Truth app available in your app store today. You can also listen to the first part of this conversation when you listen to Walk-In Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk-In Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Some people, it seems to be their business to mock the living God. And I will tell you, quoting a verse, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, he will reap. Now, God is patient. But if you mock the living God, you're playing a dangerous game. And so they laughed in his face and he basically said, take a hike, take your instruments with you and get out. And he went into the room with Peter, James, and John putting the other gospel accounts together. He sent them out. Mom and dad were there. And when the crowd had been put out 25, he entered and took her by the hand and the girl arose. Mark has it this way. He took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl or little lamb, arise. Just a touch of his hand. Just like he did for Peter's mother-in-law. Literally, little lamb, arise. There's a story about Martin Luther. He lost a daughter to the plague. I think she's about 14 years old. And they came to take her body away, you know, the undertaker and so forth. And it was said that they were hammering the nails of the coffin and that Luther said, hammer away because she will live because he believed the gospel. Horatio Spafford wrote, it is well with my soul. He lost four daughters to the sea and uh, it was devastating to him, but you all know that in the wake of that, he wrote these famous words. We will rise to a life where Satan does not buffet where trials do not come and where sea billows do not roll and where all is finally well with our souls. And so Jesus does a miracle. He raises a dead girl uh, back to life, 12 years old, and the spiritual picture is obvious. Luke puts it this way, that her spirit returned to her body because death is simply the separation of the soul from the body or the spirit from the body 
to go and be with the Lord and body and soul will be reunited at the resurrection. If you ever wondered about how this works, let me just explain quickly. When a Christian dies, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. That's clear from many verses. Philippians 1, 2 Corinthians 5. We go to be with the Lord. Our body is buried. At the resurrection and rapture, the spirit and the body reunite. So we don't, we don't die. We live. But one day our bodies will live again at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how the Bible describes this all working together. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. If you want the reference, Luke 8.55 says her spirit returned and she rose immediately and Jesus gave orders. You got to love this. Give her something to eat. And all God's people said, yeah. Don't you love Jesus, right? Give her a falafel. Give her a maple bar. I don't know what it was, but give her something to eat. And she rose. And this news, as we would expect, went out into all the land, but sadly, much of the land didn't repent, as we've already learned. I want you to turn to Revelation 3, and we're done. Last book of your Bible, Revelation 3. What does this mean to me? What does it mean to the nation? What does it mean to my family? What does it mean to the contemporary church? Let me show you something that hit me this week. You take this for what it's worth. You ask the Lord for discernment. Revelation 3 verses one through six. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, Revelation 3, one. He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. Can't help but think of our stories, right? For I've not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. So remember what you have received and heard and keep it and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. But you have a few people, Revelation 3, 4, in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they walk with me in white and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Heavenly Father, thank you for your living word. Thank you for this wonderful congregation. I know many have been praying for a great awakening in America, a revival in the church. Lord, that we would turn and you would stop the hemorrhaging, you would heal our land, you would stop maybe some of our personal hemorrhaging in our lives and some of the chaos as a result. Lord, that our nation and our, specifically because judgment begins in your house, the church would wake up and we would follow you. We know there's a remnant and we know that there's many who are fighting the good fight and I give you thanks for them. But there's a need, Lord. There's a wake-up call and it's now. And I believe your word to us is that we would turn and if there's some that hear my voice right now and they've been distant, maybe something has happened to drive them back to you, whatever it may be. I pray that you, Lord, would be gracious 
And right now, if that's you, if you're a prodigal, if you have walked away from the Lord, or maybe you've never come to Christ, and you sense the internal struggle, the hemorrhaging, you sense what sin has done to you. Reach out the hand of faith. He is so faithful to save. You know, he came to enter into our, our pain. He came because of our sin to rescue us. That, that was his mission. He so loved you, he came on a rescue mission. He died on that terrible cross. He rose from the dead. He's the God of resurrection as well. Once you trust him, just something like this, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against others, but I'm sorry. Would you heal me? Would you stop the hemorrhaging in my life? I reach out the hand of faith. Would you save me and make me well? Give me peace with God through my Lord Jesus Christ. Look, you don't have to have a perfect prayer, but if you need to come home as a prodigal as well, just tell him you believe. Repent, trust in Christ, and he is faithful to save. And Father, for all the precious people who either have heard this message today or will hear it, I pray that you'd bring comfort where comfort is needed, perseverance where perseverance is needed, hope where hope is needed, strength to stand strong where that is needed. And you would just stir your church to love and good deeds. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. We want to honor you this week in the way that we live. So lead our steps in the way that you'd have them to go. Help us redeem the time and to find the, once again, the joy and the beauty of our salvation. In Christ's name I pray, all God's people said. You've been listening to Turning to the King, Part 3, on Walk in Truth. That was the conclusion of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9, 18 through 26. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now, we have pastors on staff that would love to speak with you if you need prayer or counsel, or perhaps you have questions about Jesus and the Christian faith. Call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. You know, these two stories are such beautiful, precious jewels in the gospel because they show us the powerful touch of Jesus. And the one story of the woman with a flow of blood is interesting on so many levels because Jesus in one of the gospels says that he feels power go out from him. We, we don't think about this too much, but it would seem for Jesus, there was a personal cost uh, when he was ministering. Don't know exactly all the angles of that. That may be a foreshadowing of, you know, his own blood flowing out at the cross when he would die for our sin and feel forsaken, cry out, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you left me all alone? pay our ransom, bear our burdens, all of that. The servant songs in the book of Isaiah reveal uh, what he suffered for us, how he carried our burdens and bore our sorrows. And so we can see pictures of that, foreshadowings of the cross, if you will, in some ways in these healing stories. We can see him bearing the burdens of the sick who, you know, the woman with the flow of blood 
this had happened 12 years, you know, going to doctor after doctor, the 12 year old little girl entering into um, devastating sickness and, and even death. Those foreshadowings of the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. This is who he is. These stories uh, show his heart during his earthly ministry, but they they show his heart for us, um, show his heart for the nation, of course, of Israel with the number 12, but he has, he's, he has a heart for the nations, as we see as the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. And so my point is that in, in you and I turning to the king, we're going to find compassion. We're going to find hope. We're going to find a power is superior to anything else we could ever tap into. And maybe you've tried some different things. Maybe you've dabbled in the new age or you've dabbled in, you know, uh, psychic powers or whatever words of power. But that stuff is empty because it's all dependent upon either human ingenuity or dark forces. Turn to the light, turn to the king. We're going to look at the king's amazing compassion in the next section ahead of us in the book of Matthew. This is Pastor Michael Lance. You're listening to Walk in Truth. We love you. I appreciate you. And we'll see you right here, Lord willing, tomorrow. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew 9, 35 through 10, 7, called The King of Compassion and Mission. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.